At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that raid line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year oh no hello everybody welcome back to rain of troy radio episode 370 coming to you on wednesday june 10th it's the 10-year anniversary of the ncaa levying crippling sanctions on the usc football program we're going to talk about what that means for the return of the messiah the number five Arguably the greatest football player in college football history that at least you and I have ever seen. Reggie Bush. And so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansite.com. And our phone number it's 213-373-1USC, Suck at Woods Bruin Show. Alicia, this is a big episode. It's the 10-year anniversary. Shoot, I didn't even introduce you. I mean, I hope people who are listening to this by now know who I am. I'm sorry, it's a huge hi, episode. I was hi. just jumping into it. I'm, I'm Alicia D'Aretola here with my co-host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. <laughs> there, there we you go. go. Yeah. Perfect. It, it's a big episode. It's the 10-year anniversary of sanctions, and what does that mean? It means potentially something. and Potentially the number five getting its uh, its serif back. Yeah, I am very excited about the 10-year anniversary of the sanctions. One, because there are very, very, very good signs that we're going to get into uh, that point to Reggie Bush being welcomed back into the fold. Two. Wow. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, th- this is such a big episode. We've reconnected the soundboard. Wow. Yeah, for the- <laughs> we've-, we've actually gone through the trouble of getting the soundboard to work. See, the reason we don't use the soundboard half the time is because uh, when we plug it into our mixer, we get like a feedback buzzing noise and it's a pain in the butt. But right now... Uh, can I blame Alicia Deratola for this? It's not my fault. It's the cable and we finally found the right the cable that actually works, which is super, super, super exciting to go along with a super, super, super exciting episode of of Michael pretty much going overboard with the soundboard. He's freaking awesome, dude. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But uh, the other reason I'm excited about the 10 year anniversary of the sanctions is that like, damn, it's been 10 years, Michael. Like that is hard to process. 10 years. That's crazy to process. And also like legitimately, it does feel like 
There is no more. You've been saying this for five years now, like that there's no more impact of these things. But like Reggie potentially, allegedly, probably coming back is like the end of it all. Like like you can you can officially close the book on it and and move on from it, which is something you've been calling for forever. But I certainly have not been able to like get over it. So we're one step closer. Yep. One step closer. Indeed. We're talking about all that. In our A block, and then get into the news, wrap this thing up with a mailbag. Uh, but just letting you know, if you want more from Man of Trove Radio, there's a bunch going on, on over at Patreon. A ton of snap takes, especially around recruiting. Uh, Alicia, let everybody know what you're doing over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Man of Troy. Yeah, for every uh, new commit that happens, I'm jumping on to do a snap take. Uh, you and I just did season four of Breaking Bad in our core time series. Uh, so that's fun reviewing those. Uh, I, I will eventually get back to doing Throwback Thursdays. I really want to keep up with that, but those are big uh, time commitments, so they come out a little bit less often. And uh, we are working also hard, diligently on a trivia game, on a new trivia game. Uh, that, can I share the name of the trivia game with the, with the peoples? No, I think we need to keep okay, it under we're gonna, wraps. We're going to keep it under wraps until we get it fully. The, the plan was to do it this week, and then, you know, it's it's a big episode with uh, potentially, maybe, allegedly, perhaps, uh, someone coming back. That We had to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, that'll that be over on Patreon eventually as well. So, th- yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff going on over there, and uh, it's going to be exciting, especially since we are going to talk a little bit later on in this episode two in the news segment about the schedule for preseason, as we're going to call it, I guess, instead of like fall camp, it's now preseason. And what that'll do is we'll bring back practice car casts eventually, whenever that happens. So wow, Yeah. Wow. Lots of wows. Yeah. A lot of stuff. Patreon.com slash Rand of Troy is where you can join. Get all of our bonus content for as little as five fifty five a month. For 10 bucks, you get to join our Slack channel, talk about USC football or so much more. Uh, whatever really you want to talk about, as often as you want to talk about it with us, for 10 bucks over at patreon.com slash Troy. If you want to help us grow the show, but you don't like ads and you don't want more episodes, you get all of our main shows for 333 ad-free over on Patreon as well. Also... If you sign up for our bonus content, we're going to throw in those ad-free episodes to your patronage uh, as well. So you get th- this episode without this crummy ad break we're going to take in a, in a, in a minute uh, to talk about our, our wonderful sponsors. Which, as an avid podcast listener myself, ad-free episodes are the best episodes. And when I can get them, I absolutely do what I need to do to but get them. But we love our sponsors. We do course. love our sponsors. Yes. But, uh, yeah. And without further ado, we're going to step away for a second, come right back to talk about USC and the potential return number five. June 10th, 2010, a day that will live in infamy as far as USC football is concerned. It was a moment when... Uh, the top song on the Billboard charts was OMG by Usher featuring Will I Am, a song I had to look up because I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah, the the box office number one blockbuster, summer blockbuster at that time, Shrek Forever After. Never saw that either. That's the second Shrek? 
I don't think so. Is, is that it like the, the third, fourth the Shrek? Third I have Shrek. no idea. Let's be real. The only good Shrek is the original Shrek. No, nah, the second Shrek was good too. Uh, I mean, not as good as the original. Did, but did you really good. need another? Like the first Shrek is good enough. Like it, it's a well. I mean, good that's movie. how I feel about most sequels. But the second Shrek was actually quite entertaining. I have I have little bad to say about the Toy second Story Shrek. was the only one that that had a sequel and uh, turned into a series that needed to be a series. Uh, a franchise. See, now we need to have, save this conversation for the Patreon. Yeah. Because no. I have thoughts. People are tuning out. <laughs> uh, let's get right right into the crux of this. June 10th, 2010. Uh, USC is levied crippling sanctions. Two years of a bull ban. 30 scholarships deducted. And Reggie Bush becomes persona non grata. Stripped away from the history books. Stripped away from USC's vocabulary, vocabulary, lexicon, everything, cannot be mentioned, cannot be associated with the school, nothing. He becomes essentially Voldemort, who shall not be named, right? He who must not be named. He who must, yeah, that, that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know who. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Reggie yeah. Bush. Yeah. Yeah, that person, 10 years ago, but 10 years have passed, it is June 10th. 2020 now and like all things with 2020 hindsight is a little bit more perfect and as kyle bonagura of espn reports alicia reggie bush is coming back yeah i mean this was uh something that we had anticipated for a little while here last fall when dave roberts was the interim athletic director he had told trojansports.com that that uh, the NCAA had changed its rules and that the disassociation would end at the 10-year mark and that they would sort of cross that bridge when they came to it. But we hadn't really heard anything publicly from Mike Bone about it. We hadn't really heard anything publicly from USC in general as to the the status of Reggie Bush. So as the 10-year anniversary was was coming closer, certainly I was it was on my mind um, on, on Tuesday afternoon. I, I posted an article on com about how the 10-year anniversary was coming up and how uh, that might mean something and that, uh, you know, keep an eye out basically for what happens on Wednesday. And obviously by Tuesday night, Kyle Bonagura came out with uh, with his report, uh, with his reporting on uh, the the situation, which was that uh, sources tell him that USC will be prepared to disassociate from Bush. And, and this is this is the actual uh, wording to, to reassociate, to reassociate, yeah. to end the disassociation with with Reggie Bush. But. Here's here's what the actual report said because I think it gets down into all of the little sort of detaily stuff that um, that'll explain how and why this is all happening now. So uh, the timing comes as a result of an NCAA committing on infractions rule adopted in 2007 in 2017, sorry, that limits any mandated disassociations between an individual and a school to no more than 10 years. Bush's disassociation, which came as part of sweeping sanctions that included a two-year postseason ban. 14 vacated victories, and the loss of 30 scholarships began on June 10, 2010. Once the 10-year period is over, according to the Committee on Infraction Procedures, the NCAA will no longer, quote, monitor or enforce the disassociation and will give individual schools the freedom to decide how to proceed, whether that's to extend the disassociation or to end it. Nothing is official between Bush and USC, but the 2005 Heisman Trophy winner is in the process of finalizing an agreement that would allow him to be reinstated with the school, a source said. So that pretty much says a lot. Uh, the NCAA, 
has has basically set a standard for dissociations, which is something that I had been asking for from day one, because the uh, it was weird that it was an indefinite disassociation. And it's the ball is in USC's court, and all indications are that USC will take that ball and throw it up for a, you know, three-point shot. Isn't it weird that the language here, that the NCAA would no longer monitor or enforce the disassociation, but give schools the freedom to decide? It's essentially like, okay, I'm going to unlock the jail cell. You can leave if you want, (laughs) right? I mean, pretty much, right? Like, it... If they're if if the phrasing is they're going to monitor, they're not going to monitor or enforce it. That doesn't mean that they're that they are ending it. That doesn't mean that they right. are rescinding it. Or but it, but it's like just that. so it's so passive. Yeah. Like, well, that's the NCAA for you, and that was the you know we're going to get into some of the sanctions talk here. But like that's the NCAA this whole time. That was what was exposed about the NCAA with regards to to these sanctions and and the dissociation and all that. Just. Their passivity, their their unreasonableness, their inability to sort of see right from wrong and and to make re- like reasoned decisions is that's that's hallmarks of of the NCAA. So it really shouldn't surprise us that even now uh, these things are still being like in 2017. This thing passed and like no one brought it up. Like we heard about it in 2019 is when the first time anyone associated with USC brought it up. Like. And it was it. It seemed like an innocuous throwaway comment from, yeah. from Dave Roberts at the time too. Yeah. So I mean, the whole like, thing. Oh, is, oh yeah. By the way, I mean Reggie's going to come back in in twenty. Like what? Yeah. What do you mean? What do you Be- mean Reggie's coming back? Because for years I had been like looking at it and going, it was a an in, uh, an indefinite dissociation, and you could point to the Chris Weber with Michigan situation where it was a tenured tenured dissociation. And it made no sense at the time that Reggie was not given a similar time frame. So there was just a weird, I don't know, vibe around this whole thing. But at the very least, it's uh, it's coming to an end. And like I said, I feel like it's going to give USC the opportunity for closure. Totally. Except, of course, it happens in 2020, the well, year of our core. Uh, a year in which SC more than likely will not be able to bring him back on campus during a game. Uh, you know, at at the Coliseum and have him run out and lead the team out onto the the field. Um, probably not going to happen just because at this point we don't expect fans to to be at the Coliseum. At like, least it's like, not a full Coliseum. Like the the irony of that is, is is rather hilarious. But you know, go figure. Well, I mean, the good news is is that. This isn't the only year that Reggie Bush gets to be part of the program again. Exactly. You know? Yeah. From here on out, he but, gets but to be part time, of the program. But the first time, the first time he oh, comes back, the first back, time is going to be pretty epic. It needs to be special, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think it will be, but we'll have to play it by ear to see what form that uh, that it ultimately ends up taking. Um, but you know, my my big concern now, from the Reggie Bush standpoint, knowing that USC, and again, we're talking this, none of this is official yet. Uh, USC hasn't officially announced anything. Um, if you're listening to this episode on Wednesday, maybe it's already happened. And, you know, if it's if the afternoon or the evening, it might have already happened. So keep an eye out for that. But uh, nothing official yet as we're speaking on this. But like the thing I'm looking most forward to is I mean, I was looking through the tweets. I put together these social media reactions on Rena Troy after big events like this where I just peruse like what are people saying on Twitter? And I put it together in a in a post where I talk about, oh, here's what people are saying. And a lot of times where I start with that is I go 
put in a search term on TweetDeck, and then I filter it through uh, verified users because that's how you get sort of the big name sports people to hear if they're talking about it. And I put in verified users filter on Heisman. And I kid you not, it's like 50 tweets from 50 different sports media people who are all saying, give them the Heisman back. Give them the Heisman back. Okay, now give them the Heisman back. This is great. Now give them the Heisman back. Like, I don't think I've ever seen like the sentiment like that that is all unified in, okay, Reggie Bush is being allowed back to USC. Now give him the damn Heisman back because it is absolutely ridiculous. It was it was uh, such an overreaction by the Heisman Trust to take it away from him in the first place. When you have guys like Troy Smith and Johnny Manziel and and Jameis Winston and Cam Newton and all sorts of other guys who we know took money, who we know took illegal benefits, like in and Winston just took Publix. Let's, let's well, get w- Winston had all sorts of other uh, character issues about him, but like. You look through the, the the history of of the Heisman, like it's not like Reggie Bush is the first or the last who took benefits, who took money. Um, Reggie's sin was getting caught for sure, and he deserves to be slated for that. But at the same time, like it's it's just like the double standard that's being applied to Reggie Bush compared to the vast majority of athletes out there were getting handouts in some way or shape or form. So like. I just think, like, if the Heisman knows what's good, what what's what's right, they'll reinstate Reggie's Heisman. I'm at this point, I would hope that Heisman, that other Heisman winners will be big enough to go to the trust and say, "Hey, listen, it's ridiculous that he's not part of this community. Restore him." Uh, but at the same time, I'm not holding my breath on that either. I I really don't care about the Heisman. I do. I, I I don't care about that stuff that that was vacated. We know he won it. Oh, what does it matter if the if the Heisman itself is in Heritage Hall? I think it's more important that SC can say his name. I think it's more important that they can have his his jersey potentially. Maybe I don't know. We'll see uh, if if they bring his jersey back into the the Coliseum as a retired jersey. I, th- I think it's the disassociation ending is more important than getting those things that have been taken away when we know that he won them. So I don't care about the Heisman. We know he won it. There's nobody who doesn't think of him as a Heisman winner. So I, I shrug to me. I it, it it it's a piece of metal. You know what I mean? Like we know we we know who won it. Just just like you know, people were, were so up in arms about. Um, uh, about the the Astros and uh, and Rob Manfred calling the the Astros uh, winning the World Series is a piece of metal. I think he's right, right? Like the Astros won the World Series. We know it happened. Yeah, you're, you're taking away a piece of metal that doesn't matter. Uh, the the Heisman Trust took away a piece of metal that does not matter because we know that he won the Heisman Trophy. Right. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. But that doesn't mean I still don't want the symbolic gesture of the Heisman Trust acknowledging the stupidity of taking it away in the first place. Sure. That's all I'm saying. I just want well, to, I, I want I all you. the, I want all the victories. I want all the dunking. And in that vein, the, the, the winds we, aren't coming back. Well, I mean, the, the winds are, the winds were there, but like, the winds happen. Like I said, right, right. Yeah. Right. But either way, it's just, you know, writing wrongs is what I want. And that was one of the wrongs. Absolutely. Um, because like like Ted Miller said on Twitter, quote, 
Biggest travesty in NCAA history. No one, literally no one honestly disagrees. Period. End stop. 100%. Shut up to pretenders who might troll this tweet. Bush's violation ranked 127,341st in magnitude among all-time violations. He was paid to leave, in all caps. Every SEC player is paid to sign slash stay. Preach, Ted Miller. Preach. I forgot how much I miss Ted Miller. I haven't seen him tweet or, or do much else. I, like, I don't know where his work is these days, but seeing him bring out the hammer like that was just so gratifying because he was literally the one voice in the media from day one that looked at the sanctions and said, hey, guys, this is ridiculous. Like, this doesn't make any sense. This this is overboard. And he was fighting the good fight on the, on that topic for a long, long time while running the, the Pac-12 blog over at ESPN. So good on Ted Miller, and I could not agree more. I mean, it just flat out ridiculous what the NCAA levied against USC relative to the to the uh, infraction that was caused, which what the, the infraction was committed, but relative to it, the, the sanctions that USC got, which is why I don't blame Reggie Bush for, for the sanctions. I don't blame Reggie Bush for what happened to USC. I blame Reggie Bush for uh, not ca- taking care of his business and for letting it letting it exposing USC to a certain point. But what happened to USC was not ultimately the degree to which it happened was not Reggie Bush's fault. Reggie Bush was caught shoplifting and he got thrown in jail for life. Like that's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and speaking of people who suffered. Uh, consequences, and now those consequences are nowhere near what they are. Can can we talk for a second about ASU's punter Michael Turk? Oh. Getting NCAA uh, eligibility restored after going undrafted and unsigned by the NFL? Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, Mike Williams would like to have a word. Mike, like... Mike Williams and and Maurice Claret go go to court... They they lose their um, they they lose their battle. Mike Williams has this moment where it looks like he's probably going to play in the in the uh, 2004 season, and then right before SC's going to get on the plane to go play Virginia Tech, they find out that he's not. And I you're now now you're letting a a a, a, and a punter of all people a, a right a punter of all people because of the coronavirus because he didn't get the chance to like go through meetings or whatever. Dude got to go to the Combine. Dude performed at the Combine. Dude got to meet with teams at the Combine. And yet, they've decided to give him the the go-ahead to get his eligibility back because coronavirus? Like, what? Just pass the damn rule that lets players declare for the draft and then come back if at a certain point. Like, uh, he hired an agent. Like, it's It's ridiculous. The, hip, the 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 double standard hypocrisy uh inconsistency of the NCAA is absolutely ridiculous and it just knows no bounds it's uh it, it is wild but uh, let, let's talk about Reggie Bush let's talk about the sanctions here um number one I've written down a bunch of questions here number one when do you think USC should bring Reggie back in person to a game um well, Reggie's going to be working for Fox Sports still, obviously. Yeah. And so his schedule will obviously play a role in that. Um, I I see an argument for at the first possible opportunity, 
but uh and we got a question from somebody let me let me find this question um uh Ziandi is said what's the next step for USC and Reggie Bush should USC put his jersey back in the Coliseum or should they allow a player to wear the jersey again will Reggie be able to lead the team out of the tunnel for the season opener I wouldn't do it for the season opener well the the home opener against New Mexico I would wait if you have fans in the stands for the Notre Dame game cuz that's the the you got the bush push you got the rivalry the fans in the stands that's where i would go um would i let him be on the sideline before then absolutely but if i'm going to have him come out the tunnel uh that's that's the one that i'm the 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 sort of visible return of reggie bush that's the one i'm aiming for it's tough because i think you want to do it as soon as possible um and i think that the new mexico game would be a great moment if you know, SC puts in a good showing or beats Alabama. And if there were fans, in the, like there's too many ifs around there to make it probably not the, the, the right selection. So I don't know. I don't think, I don't think the moment matters. I think if, if you said it was going to be New Mexico and if fans could go to the game, I think people would buy tickets just to see Reggie Bush. So I don't think that, like, I think. Do the, you do like a Reggie Bush bobblehead day yeah, on I, I, the I New think Mexico that, game? I think you could argument, you could make an argue meant that that's more of a savvy move right i agree if if if, if fans were allowed to be at, at at the coliseum but yeah but obviously probably not well if fans are allowed at the coliseum and usc needs to get butts in seats that is the savvy way to do it reggie bush bobblehead day we're going to honor reggie bush we're going to re restate uh reinstate his uh his jersey in the peristyle and all that kind of stuff like do a whole big thing. A game that you know SC's probably going to win and, yeah. and all that stuff, right? Like, it, it ends up being a feel-good celebration of R- Reggie Bush. Yeah. You have every team come out in warm-ups wearing number five. Yeah, see, like, that would be legit, yeah. And that's the, I mean, that's the other thing that you could sort of look at. Antonio Morales of The Athletic had a tweet shortly after all of this hit where he said that he spoke to a former USC player about Reggie Bush, and the quote they gave was, I don't know how it's going to be handled. I don't know what guidelines the NCAA has given the university, but anything short of a hero's welcome to me is inappropriate. And I absolutely agree with that. If you're a USC and you're going to welcome Reggie Bush back, go all out. Yeah. Make it sure. Reggie Bush day on the New Mexico game. The the problem is <laughs> you pick the, the, the New Mexico game and there's a uh, sizable possibility the SC comes to that game 0-1 uh, with a 30-point, 40-point loss to Alabama on, on their resume. That, that's the problem. Um, I, I think that uh, the alternate problem is that you go into the Notre Dame game and USC is, you know, you're playing with the idea of USC being 5-6 and six but, but and say, Clay Hilton already been fired and, sure. you know, like but, but things say, can go wrong. Say say fans are allowed to be back in October. You wait for fans to come back. I think you do it the first time fans are allowed to be back. Right? Yeah. I, but, I think that's the simple answer. That's if you know. If yeah, if you know. It's it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be tough because in a perfect scenario you do it week one. Uh you do it as soon as you can. Um who knows, maybe you wait until uh, 2021 when SC opens up the, the season against, uh, I don't even, who do they open up next year? I, no, they open up against, um, we know this. BYU? 
No, it's uh, it's uh, not UC Davis. Not UC Davis. <laughs> yes. It's San Jose State. San Jose State, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a shame it's not Fresno. No, it's a shame it's not UC Davis because that would be some absolute cognitive dissonance. You're like, welcome everybody to the FCS game. Here's Reggie Bush. Did you just say, utter the phrase, it's a shame it's not UC Davis? Just, That's a drop that we need to- Can you imagine the, the <laughs> hilarity though? People showing up fuming that they have to pay to see UC Davis, but then thrilled that they get to see Reggie Bush? I, I don't think it's as funny as you think it is. Oh, it's funny. It is no, great. It would no, no, be no. great. But uh, anyways, um, does does the number five get re-retired? I, I think it has to be, right? I mean, it is retired. No one's worn it. Um, I think you, you have to retire it um, or just keep it retired. Whether or not you put the number up, um, I think that I shrug. I don't think that, that matters again. I think I think you probably do for some poly, symbolic reasons, but like you can't give the number away now. Like that would be weird. We 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 got a tweet that is now the time that Brew McCoy gets to wear number five. Why would he wear the number now? It would make more sense if he would have gotten the number originally. It would have made more sense if they would have given the number five to Dory Jackson. Or any number of these recruits that had always said that Reggie Bush was their their idol, right? Like, when when Reggie was persona non grata, that was the time to give the number away if you were going to do it. They didn't. So I don't know how you can do it now. Um, and if they gave it away to Brew McCoy, it would have been kind of cool to see sort of a, a, a thing that the... Boston Bruins did where Ray Bork wore number seven until it was retired after years later. And then he became 77 because it got retired and he honored. Uh, I don't remember who wore number seven. Was it Cam Neely? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But the point is you don't give the number away now. It's Reggie's forever. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the number stayed retired for all intents and purposes while he was disassociated. So I think it's going to stay retired now. I guess the question I would have is, do you have a retirement ceremony or anything like that? Or do you just restore it? Which I think the way they'll probably do it is just to restore it. And when they put the jerseys back up at the Coliseum, Reggie's will be among them. Um, so I think they'll do it sort of simply, but uh, but it will definitely be part of USC's sort of jersey legacy again. Yeah. Phil Esposito wore number seven, by the way. Not Cam Neely. People were waiting on pins and needles for that information, Michael. I know they were. I, I know they were. Uh, let's talk about the sanctions. Uh, what, what do you remember about the day, June 10th, 2010? Where were you? What, what was going through your mind? <clears throat> I was... Um, I don't remember where I was. I remember being on my computer, confused and furious. Like, I just... Like, I don't remember... Like, I don't... I, I was on a computer... Because I was on the WeRSC message board. And I don't remember much else. But the, the like, just furious reading and typing and not understanding it and being just, like, so confused about, about everything. Yeah, like, that's what I remember about it. I just remember the message board. I remember sitting outside of my mom's office. I want to say that I drove her to work and I was waiting for her to um to pick her up or something like that. I was but I was sitting in the in the the parking lot listening to the radio when I heard the news update. 
And I just kept thinking, two-year ban. That means two years until SC plays another meaningful game in which they can be in a season where they can go to a bowl. Two years. That's like 700 and something days. Like, you know what I mean? It's like a long, long time. Well, see, it's interesting you glommed on to the bowl ban because the bowl ban was the least of my worries. I saw the 30 scholarships over three years and my eyes just went like bugged out. Like, you're you're kidding. What? What? Like, it was, that was unheard of, the, the, the scholarship penalties. And those were the ones that instantly I... I sort of singled out as this is where they're trying to kill USC. This right. is where they're going to achieve achieve that goal. Yeah, because the the, the bull band didn't affect how good USC could be. It just affect how what, what SC could do, right? But but the scholarships did, and um, SC fought them. They got them delayed a, a year, which really helped for Lane Kiffin in, in that twenty. Um, uh, 2011 recruiting class, he signed like 39 million dudes in that class. And a lot of key guys in that class, uh, players that, that redshirted, uh, players that helped USC get through the sanctions. Really, Lane Kiffin's classes, his recruiting classes in 2010 and 2011, before the scholarship projections held, I mean, started to hit in the 2012, 13, and 14 recruiting classes, um, helped SC get through it. And it, it's one of those things where... I don't know that SC could have gotten better, could have done better getting through the sanctions than they did. And uh, I wrote down here, how did SC perform through the sanctions knowing what we know now? Uh, it was an A+, plus, right? Like, uh, yes, there was the, the on the field, they had all those moments that you could point to, the 2012 season, that all those things that they, they, they under, all those times that they underachieved. They underachieved at times literally every season uh, this past decade. There were moments where they underachieved, right? They they seemingly never put everything all together. Uh, even the year that they you know go to the Rose Bowl in 2016, long after the sanctions, they underachieved at the beginning of the season, right? That This entire decade was full of underachievement for USC. But the point, that the fact that we can point to that underachievement is a testament to how well SC got through the sanctions, right? Well, and that USC's first non-winning season comes how many years after the sanctions and are over? And had nothing to do with the and sanctions? And had nothing to do with the sanctions 2018, yeah. 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 No, what what Lane Kiffin did managing the roster was, was really, really exceptional. Um, what I think is interesting is, like, that 2011 class had so many dudes but the funny thing about it is it had so many dudes and it really was a hit rate of like 50-50. But you had to get that many but dudes. You, you had, had to, to get, take everybody. You had to get that many guys. And then you go ahead with the later classes, the smaller classes, and it highlights why that huge class was an advantage for USC because the 2012 class is smaller, the 2013 class is smaller, and your hit rate might be a little bit higher on that 2012 class, but... When you missed out on a dude, it was a big problem. Um, the 2012 class was actually very, very solid. It's the 2013 class where um, they closed so well and had such a good class. But, man, having Kenny Bigelow not 
exactly work out. Max Brown well, not the, exactly work out. The 2013 Ty class Isaac of the year transfers. that didn't close. Yeah. They lost all those guys. Well, but, but, the, but the 2013 class still finishes 13th overall with sure. like, half, like they were all four. They were yeah, all there were, top there were no 100 guys. Right. But like a lot of them, you know, you, you couldn't afford to have a Quentin Powell who was just a, a marginal player. Like, right. so... That that it was very difficult, I think, for USC during that time. But they navigated navigated it about as well as you could think of from the sanctions perspective. I think there right. are a lot of management issues where USC goes wrong in that era. Yeah, but Lincoln had to. Um, he couldn't take any three stars because he had to get the most talent possible, um, and he had to have a solid hit rate. And you you look at twenty twelve. There's only what? How many players did they sign in 2012? Like 14. 11 or 12, 14. Uh, and you're, you're talking about Leonard Williams. You're talking about Chad Wheeler. You're talking about Zach Banner, Nelson Aguilar, guys who, you know, four guys who are on the All American wall, right? And four guys who SC absolutely needed to have the careers that they did. Um, given and the three stars that they did bring in. Are Chad Wheeler, who becomes an All American, Morgan yep. Breslin, who was a, who had an a really incredible good, year, yeah, really yeah. a really decent player for USC. So like the hit rate on that class was pretty decent, even when you account for guys like Jabari Ruffin not really working out or um, Jordan Simmons injury problems, yeah. uh, Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick's uh, academic problems. Uh, the rest of that class is you know more or less productive players, if not great players like Nelson Aguilar and, and Leonard Williams. So again, but the, that class gets USC through a few years where mm-hmm. I think you run into trouble is when you're starting to rebuild your roster numbers in 2014 and 2015, when those classes start to have bigger numbers, but bigger numbers of misses and lack of development and sort of like the snowball effect of the end of sanctions starts to take a little bit of effect. But again, it's it's less the sanctions and more the coaching and the I, development yeah. and the management that really... I'm absolutely pushing back on that idea. I think the sanctions had nothing to do with it at all. Um, I think you had to take... Uh, Sark could take more guys in 2014. Um, he ends up taking a class of like 20, right? Um, in, in 2014. And that's when SC starts to... 2014 and 2015, when they start to play around with blue shirts, they start pushing numbers forward, end up getting a full class, and... You go back to having a hit and miss rate that's that's a little bit normal until you get to 2016, and 2016 is when SC has so many guys. I guess who, my who leave a lot of attrition. That's what leads my to, my, to, argue, to my argument. My argument nothing to do with sanctions. My argument would be that 2014. Yeah, you hit on a lot of these guys, but a lot of these guys had to come in immediately and play as freshmen, like immediately. Sure. Uh, Toa Viane, Damian Mama, they all come in. Those are offensive linemen that come in and play immediately as freshmen. Right, like um, Juju and Adori immediately as freshmen. Like so, Juju and Adori were going to play as freshmen no matter. No, what. no, no, that's true. But you had a lot of guys who were used earlier, maybe than they wouldn't than they would have been otherwise, because you didn't you didn't get those you know fringe four star three star guys who will bulk up your roster and be juniors going into that 2014 season. And be able to sort of hold down spots and allow the uh, the right. younger guys to develop and like I think again it's these are things that are hard to quantify and that's the difficulty here is I can point out to maybe this was going on but I can't tell you for certain that that's what was going on but I do think that the impact of the sanctions are running under they're an undercurrent 
um, for USC in in those years in the Sark in in the late Kiffin years, early Sark years. Uh, but when it comes down to it, again, Lane Kiffin had his problems. Steve Sarkeesian had his problems that are separate from you know Clay Hilton has his problems that are right. totally separate from these underlying things. Well, why does the 2014 class uh, or 2014 season fail because of the jail Mary? Because they laid an egg at Boston College. Because they got their ass kicked against UCLA, right? None of those things I don't think you can you can point to specifically as being because they had to throw Damian Mama out there who's a little too raw. Like I you know what I mean? Like I don't think that it directly correlates. I, I hear you that you know, playing the three freshmen, the the Oos crew in, in twenty fourteen, you you might not need to do that if if you had stockpiled offensive linemen before, if you were able to stockpile offensive linemen before, maybe if you had a healthy Jordan Simmons and, and whatnot, but but still, that's not the reason those teams lost. And that's that's the the, the irony, I think, of th- this past decade is that SC gets these crippling sanctions, which are the, the worst thing that you could see any team get, getting since, since SMU got the death penalty, and yet they do nothing but kick the sanctions ass well, to the point that they end up being a uh, a, a struggle bus because th- it just heightens the, the 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 stress of their underachievement because their rosters were so well, good. But Where, that's whereas the Penn thing State is, is seemingly more of a miracle team to go to that Rose Bowl, right? Because they had walk-ons starting and, and whatnot. SC never had that. Well, they didn't have that except in 2011 when they weren't allowed to go to the Rose Bowl. Sure. Um, but but but, but in, it's, in it's 2011, funny. the roster was, was mostly guys that were recruited before the, the sanctions anyway. It's funny to me, though, that we're talking about like the underachievement of this decade as though USC had a bunch of losing teams. Like, Sark's teams underachieved to 9-4. Right. and four. Correct. Like, so, again, when we're talking about underachievement, like, we're not... I I don't know that we have a real sense of what underachievement actually looks like. And I think that if you take the sanctions away, um, maybe the 2012 season plays out a little bit differently. But ultimately, it's still you're still not winning a national title that year. Yeah. Um, You take the sanctions away and maybe the 2011 team is much more successful, but you're still not winning a national title that year. Like the games that you lost in 2011 are not. That that team had to go through a journey. Same with like 2014. Maybe you maybe if you take out all the impact of the the sanctions and you don't have those freshmen starting and all that kind of stuff, you're ten and three, maybe eleven and two. You're still not winning a national title. So yeah. again, the overall impact is not complete. Yeah, and you know you're talking about SC having a a decade that that wasn't up to the Pete Carroll standard. But the Pete Carroll standard changed what the standards were, really. Uh, they, they changed everything. Because if you look at all the blue bloods in college football and you talk about just the, the, the 2010 decade, there's so many blue bloods that we say that would have disappointing decades. Nebraska, uh, Florida, Texas, Michigan, um, Miami. And you can make an argument that SC had a better decade than all of those, maybe save for Florida. Like, yeah, what's Texas's excuse for being where they are right now? Right. I mean, and that's that's the thing is, you look at Texas and USC; they have similar pitfalls into why they are where they are right now. They haven't hired the right coaches. 
And on top of that, Texas has hired the right coaches while giving those coaches much more resources than USC has over the past few years. So, you know, it can happen regardless of sanctions. Your your program can fall into a rut for a variety of reasons. And, and usually it comes down to mismanagement of of uh, hiring and of, of resource management and all of that kind of stuff. The one sanction sort of what if that I would throw out there is if the sanctions aren't a thing does marginal gain for Lane Kiffin in 2010, 11, and 12 mean a, a 2013 complete for Lane Kiffin? Does it mean a 2014 for Lane Kiffin? Um, that's the only, the shortest, the sort of short leash that Lane Kiffin ended up on. Maybe one or two, the results of one or two games does impact his tenure, but uh, that's also hard I, to I, say because he um, he was a powder keg. He had issues. I, I I don't know where that 2012 roster was loaded. Like I I don't know, and that 2012 roster f- still featured freshman, um, you know, impact players like Leonard Williams and Nelson Aguilar. So I don't think we can we can sit here and say that the that not having a full recruiting class is why that team went seven and five in the regular season. I don't think the bull ban is why that team went seven and five in the regular season. No, like so, I I don't think that that really affected Lane Kiffin not getting um, a full season in, in 2013 at all. Um, yeah, but 2013 is also a season where USC falls apart in part because when they have one or two injuries, all of a sudden they don't have anyone to sub in. You know, like. These no, are it's, I, it's I a very, I'm not saying it's the only reason. I'm just saying Lane Kiffin might be able to point to if sanctions hadn't been making my job a hell of a lot harder, I might have done one or two games better, and that could have been the difference between being fired and not. Well, he might have had an Alamo Bowl win against Baylor that he could point to. Yeah, but but again, I would argue, what does that Alamo Bowl win against Baylor mean in, in 2011? I don't know, right? But it, but in 2012, if USC wins one of those games at the tail end of the season. Or is closer in one of those. Like I don't think that they they win or lose those games based on sanctions. That roster was too good to to go seven and five as it was. Like I, I don't I don't know what you're arguing here. No, I'm saying I don't know how how do we know that there wasn't a player out there who could have made a huge difference? How do we know that you know maybe Jalen Ramsey is more likely to come to USC or or uh, any number of recruits who USC wasn't able. If, if they're able to, like, I think, I just think that you are limited in your scope in understanding, wh- like, how broad based the sanctions impact might have been. Not that he, they were. That the, he could have got another all. Morgan Breslin. Sure. Yeah, and then and sure. the one sack in one game can turn a game around completely. Like, it's a game of inches, and and those things can matter. Yeah, but at that point, then then the possibilities uh, are endless of, of anything positive yeah. and negative. So yeah, I, I, that's I, all I'm saying mm, is that the possibility is there. You don't have to think that it that it is the the thing that ultimately made the difference. But I think there is a possibility where USC wins a couple more games during the Lane Kiffin era, and it saves his job. Okay. Lane Kiffin might have blown it up on his own, anyways. It's entirely possible too, but I think there is an, an alternate thought there that, that that changes things even slightly. The sort of butterfly wings thing. I I, I get you. I, I get you. But I, I think the the prevailing point for me is still um, SC underachieved this decade because of their coaching. SC 
um, got in a position to underachieve because of their recruiting, which far exceeded their abilities, even with sanctions. Um, and this this past decade was wild because the like 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 we talked about one losing season, um, and it was a decade that you know ninety three percent of college football programs would have completely taken. Um, but it still wasn't good enough because it was it directly preceded the greatest decade or maybe the second greatest decade in USC football history. So that, um, in comparison, is, is, is a big drop-off. And it's on SC now that we're, we're 10 years behind all this stuff. It's, it's on USC to pick up the pieces. And um, now they have Reggie Bush as a recruiting chip to, to go forward and see what they can do in the 2010s. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and get into the rest of the news, and then get into the mailbag. It's going to be one of those weird episodes where the news is coming in like 45 minutes into this episode. 50 minutes. Unorthodox. Let's start with the news and Clay Helton supporting his players' participation in peaceful protests. This comes from John Wilner of the Mercury News. Yeah, so not too much to say about this, just that uh, Clay Helton was asked about, um, you know, the the taking a knee situation and, and peaceful protests like that. And he said, and I quote, if a young man wants to take a knee, my job is to support them. These are hard times for black student-athletes. They are hurting. They see it as a time for justice, a time for equality, a time for peace, and they want to be part of the change. Uh, this generation is so much better than mine. They see this as a time for action. Um, so he said that uh, each of them wants to share his voice in a certain way. Some want to do that by taking a knee. Some might want to go to a protest. Some might want to give their opinion. My job is to encourage them to share their voice. So um, I don't think we're going to end up with protests during uh, the national anthem in college football so long as the national anthem is played while players are still back in the locker room. Um, but it is worth noting that Clay Helton is, is putting his voice behind uh, whatever acts of speech the players uh, opt to do in this coming um, fall and, and certainly beyond. Yeah, great answer, by the way. It's like the anti uh Dabo Sweeney answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Helton is a player's coach, and this is the way that he should be approaching things, where he should defer to the to the players um, in 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 these instances. And uh, I think that is something that the players certainly appreciate him for, and they've stated that outright many many times. So, yep. Uh, moving on, NCAA is working on. A plan to allow mandatory workouts. This is per Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, so apparently, and we mentioned this early earlier, normally you do spring camp and then summer PRPs, player-run practices, and then fall camp. Well, obviously the coronavirus got in the way of all of those, so what we're looking at this year for uh, college football restarting is a six-week preseason. And that preseason... Um, is going to start after the voluntary workouts begin, which USC's voluntary workouts haven't yet begun, but we expect that the their uh, the Pac-12 has approved voluntary workouts, 
for later this month, and we expect uh, USC to start voluntary workouts at some point over the next few weeks. We'll see when that actual timing of that goes. But once the voluntary workouts have begun, mandatory workouts can begin six weeks before the start of the season. And the way it'll work out is they're going to have two weeks of, quote-unquote, enhanced summer training. And then after those two weeks, they're going to go into a full four-week fall camp. So this is from uh, Dellinger's uh, report. So in enhanced summer training, athletes are allowed 20 hours a week for activities. That includes eight hours of strength training and film review, an hour walkthrough practice each day, and an hour of daily team meetings. Enhanced training has been compared to NFL OTAs, but players cannot wear helmets or pads during walkthroughs. However, they can use a football. Uh, after the, that two-week period, then USC will go into a four-week normal fall camp, which uh, will begin in August. And so the, 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 ten, the tentative dates based on this report, which hasn't been officialized by the NCAA or anything like that, so take it for what it is, but the, the, the initial dates that we're looking at are um, the enhanced summer training beginning for USC sometime around July 13th. So they'll be able to go into summer workouts uh, with coaches present uh, and, and and instructing players and then like strength coaches and, and all of that kind of stuff around July 13th. The enhanced training period, that two-week period, would probably begin around July 24th. And then the camp, the four weeks of actual fall camp where they do full pad practices and the like, could begin on August 7th. So it's just a, temp, a, a sort of tentative timeline that we have to work with, but at least there's any sort of timeline that's now out there for us to, to wrap our heads around and sort of figure out how uh, how this season is going to restart. So it looks like six weeks of, of practice, more or less, but uh, only four weeks of those, quote unquote, like real physical practice. Yeah, I just, it, it is incredible just to be able to talk about uh, a timeline for any of this when it felt for so long that um, it looked like we didn't know anything. Uh, we didn't even know if there was going to be a season. And here we are. Uh, not only is Reggie Bush coming back, but uh, we've, we've got dates for things. Tentative dates, unofficial dates, but dates nonetheless. Yes, for sure. Uh, let's talk about someone who is heading elsewhere. That's C.J. Pollard, a USC defensive back who signed in the 2016 class. He's going to the Utah State football team, the Aggies. That Utah State, uh, USC Utah State pipeline is uh, Jalen. Well, it's yeah. it's the Sarah USC Utah State. Utah State. State uh, yeah, yeah, that's it's a good like, point. It's like an indirect pipeline. There yeah. you go. That's a good point. Yeah, Pollard is going to go over to Utah State and get a chance to uh, get more playing time than he otherwise likely would have at USC. Um, it'll be. In, I mean. It would have been interesting to see what he might have been able to do with Todd Orlando, sort of new faces and maybe a uh, new appreciation of, of what he brings to the table because uh, I don't think Clancy Pendergast was. Uh, he certainly, uh, it felt like at times they were going out of their way to find somebody else to fill the spot that C.J. Pollard could have filled at times uh, at safety when USC had a lot of injuries. So uh, that was certainly where Clancy Pendergast's defense stood, but maybe it might have been different under Todd Orlando. Maybe might have been different under uh, Craig Niver, but he's going to get his chance at Utah State, and he's uh, could be an asset for Utah State. We'll see what he does. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, recruiting news. USC gets a commitment from three-star tight end Lake McCree, who uh, commits to USC's 2021 class. He is the 431st 
overall recruit in the 2021 class, the number 18 tight end out of Lake Travis High School in Austin, Texas, six foot four, 217 pounds. He missed last season with a knee injury, which means that um, he's got a 2020 season as a senior, which he can really kind of boost up his recruiting um, ranking, or we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I think the interesting part, and I will pay $5 to anyone who has the time to look through USC's media guide, because I have a theory that Lake McCree would be the first player in USC history to have a first name that is the same name of his high school, Lake McCreary, Lake Travis High School, ever at USC if he letters. So be the first USC letterman to have the first name of where he's from. Uh, Five bucks if anyone wants to verify that through the media code. Uh, if I had more time on my hands, uh, I would go verify that for you. But I, I don't think a... SC has ever ha- uh, brought in a, a guy named Nyes from Van Nuys. Uh, do you think there's ever been a guy named Sarah from Sarah? I'm doubtful. I mean, come on. <laughs> Long, Long from Long Beach Folly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know about that one, but uh, uh, Modder has there. <laughs> USC had a guy named Modder from Modern Day. What, what, what's uh, where, where's Lake McCree going to be on the 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 depth chart? Is, is it going to be like a, a deep lake or a shallow lake? <laughs> Yeah, the the would be fun. Um, e- either way, USC has this thing about tight ends who are coming off season-ending knee injuries in high school, um, which is slightly concerning. But otherwise, uh, looks like a promising kid. Nice to see USC recruiting well in the state of Texas as well. So um, yeah, good on uh, John David Baker for getting his first. Uh, believe it's his, certainly his first commit in the class of. Uh, of 2021 he technically would have gotten jack yary wouldn't he have is he hired by then i don't remember no not really yeah i mean he could have been involved sure but uh let's keep it with uh recruits with uh with hollywood names talking about miller moss who's transferring from bishop alamany to another catholic powerhouse in southern california modern day of course because why not, Alicia? Why would you not play at Modern Day if you were committed to USC? I mean, USC quarterbacks coming from Modern Day it just sort of fits. Uh, it's funny. So USC is replacing its last Modern Day cord- quarterback with a new Modern Day quarterback, losing JT Daniels. But but not just that. Mo- Miller Moss is also replacing Bryce Young literally and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's just funny that, like, okay, Jake Garcia transferring from Narbonne to La Habra. Rest in peace, gotcha. Uh, made a lot of sense because Narbonne was hit with sanctions and... You don't have to bring it up. It's yeah. it's too soon. It hasn't yeah. been 10 years yet, okay? Yeah. But, I, but I can't figure out why Miller Moss needs to leave Alamany to go to modern day when it's modern day it's not baby. like he needs to leave in order to get more recruiting attention he it's just modern got day. to usc like now the big big plus here for usc if, if this is like some like galaxy brained plan to help usc in recruiting then i 100 support it because he already has his connections with um alimany guys that that usc is is targeting and Saie uh, Mapakaitolo is uh, is is from Alamany as well, and so like the Alamany uh, 
pipeline has been has been uh, has been you know they've gotten what they've needed out of it. So then sure. he pops over to, to modern day, and who does he get to be buddy buddy with for the next six months? Uh, Rayshon Davis, like. Is this all some massive recruiting plan? To... I, I think if you're at modern day, you instantly know everything about USC already. Well, I mean, but maybe Miller Moss can convince, can be part of the the contingent that's trying to convince Rayshon Davis. Maybe. I mean, to, it certainly doesn't decommit. hurt. It, yeah, it, it it does not hurt. Um, I my first thought about transferring from Bishop Alameda to modern day is like, oh, signing up to to have like a. A, a two-hour commute every morning to go to school. I mean, uh, brutal, man. Again, I I don't necessarily quite understand why championships wins. <laughs> okay, I mean, I guess maybe he wants to be like the Gatorade Player of the Year. I don't. Hell I don't yeah, know. you would. Your name is Miller Moss. You damn <laughs> right. You want you, you want to win championship. Come on. But uh, that'll lead us into the mail pack. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, listen, before we get into the mailbag exactly, more Disney movie athlete name. Miller Moss or JT Daniels? JT Daniels. You think so? Yeah. Miller Moss is close. Miller Moss is, is quite good, but like JT feels like more of a Disney first name to me. Like I feel like Liz, Lizzie McGuire went to a high school in which the quarterback, the quarterback was, was named Miller, Miller Moss, yeah. right? That that's true. She certainly didn't go to a high school that was the quarterback named Jake Garcia. What are you trying to say? I'm saying it's not Miller Moss. Alright. Jake Garcia's a good name too. No, it's a good name, but like it's not a Disney quarterback name. Sure. I'll give it to you, but we'll move on. Facebook message from Brian H. Listening to the last podcast about the Trojans recruiting with the COVID precautions, and this kind of came up in my head. I think the players should all get a PAPR system when they come back for voluntary training. It solves a lot of the issues with COVID. They can do a lot more than wearing an N95, breathe better, see each other, superior barrier, and prevents them from touching their face. It's not much different than a helmet. In in a perfect world, thanks for the message, Brian. In a perfect world, this is absolutely the solution that uh, that you would do. Uh, if you guys don't know, the PAPR system or like the classic, like if you see in a movie or a TV show, like the hazmat helmet suits where it's like a like almost like a beekeeper suit, but for breathing. It's like it's like an evolution when yes. Orlando Jones gets gets bit by the thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's wearing one of those. Yeah. 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 Uh, those those suits that have like the little tube that's feeding the air into the helmet bit. Um, that's sort of like plasticky cloth covering, you know, if you, if you go look up PAPR, you'll know exactly what I'm, what I'm saying about right now. Like in a perfect world. Yeah, that would be great. Except that these systems cost like a few hundred dollars, if not, uh, like a a grand each and you got to outfit a hundred or so players and coaches with them. And, um, we already know that a lot of programs out there aren't even going to like do full blown testing. So I don't know that we should expect, uh, I just want to see the players in these things. Well, I wonder how effective they could be like, (laughs) 
We saw Shut put, put, put him in bubbles. Like Shut put out the uh, the face guard. You know, like they have the they have the visors. Well, now that the visor extends all the way down to the bottom of the face mask, like those kinds of things. Like I'm sure you could like rig up a, a football helmet that does the PAPR thing. But I just think that it's the kind of thing that people aren't going to invest that much into, um, given the demographic of the players, given the cost, given the we just want to do thing normally crowd like you know it's a good idea i just don't think it's particularly viable given the uh given the environment i would be curious what nike has in terms of wearables uh things like uh buffs well that's what you and i like uh i'm sure that they have i mean i always go back to i i've seen a ton of of pictures uh, over the years of players working out where they'll have this little mask with the with a little dial on it mm-hmm. um for altitude training yeah and and so those things exist i'm sure that they can be similar to um to what you do for a situation like this and and so, nike would be able to supply the thing well and that's the thing is i just uh obviously i'm a uh, big into hiking and i just bought a buff that's you know designed for for hikers and I put that because I wanted something that I could sort of cover my face when it's windy. I also wanted to be able to cover my face, cover my mouth on trails when you're passing other people by just for peace of mind for everybody else. Not so much for me, but for other people. Um, And I didn't want to have to bring a mask on a trail. So I got this buff and I put it on. I'm like, hey, this is pretty comfortable. Like, this is pretty breathable. Uh, It's not too bad. So, like, it would make a lot of sense if you needed players to have face coverings. You could just have them. I mean... Players already wear the, like, um, uh, what are they called, uh, where they're, uh, like, ski mask kind of things, but... The, the all-weather things? The all-weather things for, for when it's cold. You see them in the full headgear thing. So, it would make a lot of sense for that as sort of a lo-fi way to just prevent people from spreading their um, saliva and, and all that kind of stuff. But, like, I think in a weird way... The PAPR stuff is probably would be seen as overkill. Uh, probably, uh, li- like you said, especially that- if you're doing testing to make sure no one's positive to begin with. And, I think- and we're we're talking about the the um the the percentage. I mean the the slice of the pie that that would be uh the the safest in general, um in which is athletes in the ages of eighteen to twenty three. Yeah. Um, which they doesn't mean that they shouldn't be doing all these preventative measures. They absolutely need to be doing those things. Um, but but yeah, the the, the PAPR, PAPR thing would be um funny to look at. I think it's, certainly. And, and I don't I don't mean to, to take away from Brian's idea because it it would be a great idea if it was logistically possible. If 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 this was an outbreak of Ebola and we wanted to play sports without like absolute fear of transmission, then. Sure. The PAPR would absolutely be something to look into. Uh, Seahawks Joe says, do you think students have any realistic shot of being allowed at games this season? Really disappointing that after being a spring admit, I could lose out on my first football season as a student. I'm a junior, so I'll only get a couple of them too. Slanty face. Yeah, thanks for the tweet, Seahawks Joe. Um, that's tough. That's really tough for uh, the, the the students, particularly the transfer students who have a limited window to uh, to get student tickets. 
I think there is a possibility um, of them having partial capacity and having students in at the very least, if not, you know, full capacity. Every think, other seats or something yeah, like that I think, at some point, maybe. I think there's definitely a possibility. Can we say for certain at this stage where we are now? I, I don't know. I, I I couldn't say one way or the other, but I don't think it's off the table. I think that's what I'll say. I, I don't think it's off the table. Um, not to give like a cop out answer, but we really will just have to see. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! I legitimately think there's a chance. I think it's low. I think it's low, but... It really yeah, depends yeah, on how the next... Know. It really depends on how the next month the ne- or so goes. The next couple months are going to be huge. We're starting to see spikes in Texas and Arizona and, and California again. And as we reopen things up, if, if it spikes too bad, then we're going to have to reckon with the crowd thing again. Where if the spikes sort of calm down a little bit, then the crowd thing won't be as much of, a, of an issue. But right. it's... That's... Yeah. We'll, we'll let, the, let the data gu- guide that one and we'll sort of figure it out. Yep. Uh, tweet from Anthony. Will the bookstore sell Reggie's jersey? I, Do, I don't know. Does but, USC want to make a hell of a lot of money? That, that's the... Yeah. It if would, the it answer is yes, then absolutely sell that. And does S- Nike want to make that money? Yeah, I mean, do it. I, I, I like... The the thing that we all know, what when we've been talking about college football returning, what have we been talking about? Like the money's gonna rain, the money's gonna rule everything. Well, guess what's gonna rule the Reggie Bush jersey question? The number five will be in bo- the bookstore as soon as they get a new ship. The my, only my question, o- my only fear, is it, it too late? No, no, my fear is that it's gonna be there with B U S H on the back. Oh no no no, that's gross. I mean, Seau, uh, Ronnie Lott, like all those yeah. jerseys that are that have been in the bookstore before. When they've sold old players' jer- like alumni's jerseys, they they put the names on the back. And I think it's probably some contractual reason through Nike. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be a way so that they can differentiate from the current players, and maybe a way that they can you know kick back some money to those guys. But it would suck if that was the case. And if you buy one. Immediately, so like, go to your mom, your grandma, your local tailor, anybody who can sell and be like, snip, snip, snip. I, I, yeah. I can take this off. The one thing I will wonder is I remember a couple years ago when USC updated the collars on the jerseys, well, updated yep. the jerseys, and um, the white jersey with the cardinal collar it took a year to get in. It right? was, we, we, we ended up speaking to the bookstore about whether or not they were going to get that in. And basically they were like, we can't get it now because it's too late to put in like the manufacturing order or whatever it was. And then you add the COVID shutdowns yeah, and so slowdowns then, of so that's manufacturing? The, the only thing would be if USC was waiting to give the go-ahead on the number five jersey manufacturer, that might be what causes any delay. But if they can have those jerseys in the bookstore, I guarantee you they will. You would think. Lots and lots and lots of money right there. Uh, Rob says, when do we first see number five retired or on the field? Uh, I think we talked about this before. I think it's going to be... I, okay, if I had to guess, I think we're going to see his number on the field before anything. Or do you save it until you, he comes out and then he unveils that the number's re, you know, retired? No, again? I think when you display the Heisman jerseys, you just 
You just have Put it the there. Put the number five just, back and you just let it be there. And, uh, yeah. The day before the game, you're like, new look or something like yeah. that? You, yeah. You yeah. 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 Uh, the, the other thing that I meant to, to mention, you know what this means, Alicia? Him being back for USC? It means USC's new uh, video team, the, the LSU bros, they can put together a video that is high quality. Oh. Uh, high Reggie, definition. High quality like Reggie the ori- Bush highlights. The, the original footage. All of that stuff. They, In- can, they can put it out. It doesn't have to be like these dudes on Twitter who are putting together like found footage and some of it is like potato cam. And they do a good job putting it together with the limited resources that they have. But SC can now put out a proper highlight video of Reggie Bush. And when it happens, it's probably going to be like NSFW. Like, you you might have to be 18 plus. Inject it straight into my veins. The mo- I mean, the videos that that video team is already putting out have been fire, as the kids pretty, say. Pretty, pretty. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, give give me some Reggie Bush in that highlight reel. <sighs> wow. Yeah. He makes me drool. Yes, literally, yes. Yeah. Uh, email from Randy. Hey, Michael and Alicia. Randy from the Bay Area here. I think it's time for the reign of Troy. 30 for 30 on Dom Davis down the sideline. Dom Davis down the sideline. Randy says, what if I told you not all roads lead down the sideline? <laughs> I hope you're all staying safe and thank you for producing content for us fans during the pandemic. Randy. <laughs> uh first of all, the the Dominic Davis era at USC is not over because I mean... digital Dom Davis exists. <laughs> I am going to start a uh a you have already started your your um uh, NCAA 14. Yeah. Uh, d- dynasty. Dynasty. I'm going to start my own dynasty, and Dom Davis is is going to get that Heisman. See, I I could go out of my way to to give Dom Davis D- Dom Davis some some loving in in my dynasty, but my end goal for my dynasty, which I don't think I've talked about yet on the show on the main show, I think we talked about it in the Patreon show, is uh, I did a, a relegation, a regional realignment, and relegation set up for my dynasty and my goal playing through the season is to get Vi Malapai the Heisman and then I realize that for next season when uh, basically when Vi graduates or once he's won the Heisman uh, my next goal is going to have to be to get uh Heisman tight end that'll be my my goal Heisman tight end um what what's the season look like for a Heisman tight end I don't know but I'm going to find out Michael I'm going to find out um, it it looks a little bit like what Damian Wake did for you in Edmund. Yes, <laughs> the famed fa- Damian Wake of the of the Lendak uh, uh, uh sub variety. Rest in peace, uh, twenty twenty eight Kansas City Chiefs. Sorry, San Antonio Chiefs. Yeah, Michael's Madden franchise had a this ridiculous tight end called Damian Wake yeah. that uh, was otherworldly. Yeah, that's who. That's who I'm gonna turn my Heisman my my Heisman tight end into. But uh yeah, I'm I'm excited to win Vimelapea the Heisman. You I trust in your ability to win Dom Davis the Heisman and uh and Dom then, Davis down the sideline. And then we can do a uh, a thirty for thirty on on the whole thing. 
What if I told you a Heisman run had to go digital for it to happen? <laughs> Rain of Troy Radio 30 for 30 presents Dom Davis down the sideline. It could work. I'd listen. Uh, tweet from Dave S. How was Alabama able to have 40 players practicing slash working out slash whatever on June 3rd when voluntary workouts were supposed to begin on June 8th? I, I want to say that the NCAA approved voluntary workouts from June 1st. That was the date I remember. So different conferences set their own dates, uh, but uh, the NCAA's mandate was for june 1st being the minimum date and as we've seen that maybe was not handled particularly well by alabama but uh but that's that's as far as i know that's the way it sort of worked out yeah and alabama had a bunch of players test positively for covid19 which doesn't look good but well they it, it's gonna hold be hold on you need to explain it fully they were tested on Tuesday, worked out together on Wednesday, and then got their test results back on Thursday. That's that's not which how you meant do it. that like a handful of players practiced with their teammates on the Wednesday while also being positive for COVID nineteen, which is a uh, fun times. Yeah, that's that's not how you're supposed to do it, there, Chief. Um, I, I think the interesting thing is, you know. The the numbers are going to spike the more you test people because, as we've seen with COVID-19, the asymptomatic um, carriers, um, it's very easy to not know that you have COVID-19, right? So um, that's going to put a rise in, in positive tests. Uh, what that means, I don't know. We're going to have to see exactly what the numbers bear out, how many people are symptomatic and, and, and whatnot, but... Um, so in other words, when SC starts to practice, there's going to be players who test positive. Just be ready for that. What it means, we'll have to find out as it goes. So, yeah. Uh, last question. We got a text message from our pal, Matthew, who sent us a tweet, uh, which comes from, I am no one on Twitter. Tag yourself. I'm number 32. And it is a picture of the encyclopedia of sandwiches. In which there are 40 sandwiches. Number 32 from I Am No One would be a falafel pita. I'm definitely not number 32. Uh, Alicia, you're looking at the tweet. What is, uh, what's your sandwich? I think the correct answer is 14, a meatball sub. God, you, me, simpatico. <laughs> that's the, well, damn right that's the correct well, answer. Well, like, uh, my, my secondary answer, if I had to choose another one, was going to be the 36th Italian beef. So I think we're still simpatico. And number two, grilled cheese. Yeah, grilled cheese. Well, okay, so like number three is a pulled pork sandwich. That one... I get ooh the twenty three French dip I'm all about mm. the twenty six roast beef I'm all about. You're just uh, naming the only ones I'll eat. It's, pretty, it's pretty I great. mean, pretty much. Um, so I, anybody who says I have bad food takes, just now when I me. when I went to France, I had plenty of croque monsieur and croque madames, and both are exceptional. So, um, I'm on it. Like I'm 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 here for it. But uh, but the other ones definitely reign supreme. How do you um, feel about Monte Cristos? I do, I do like a Caprese as well. I like Monte Cristos. I feel because, like Monte Cristos would be better if it wasn't freaking ham. 
That that might be true, but like ham, ham is just such a trash meat. See, I I don't mind ham in the right circumstances. It's not my favorite, but in the right circumstances, uh, it works. Eh, hmm. not uh, not not a fan for me, but yeah, definitely meatball sub. You know what's really good? Italian beef and grilled cheese. What you know, it's really good that I don't think you've ever had, but the twenty eight tonkatsu. I only semi recently experienced that sandwich. Which is like a fried, so as it described here, it's a fried pork chop, mayo, and a tokatsu sauce. Like, it's, and it's, and I don't know exactly which Asian country it's from, but whatever one wow. makes it. real culture, Delicia. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I, I don't know. It, I don't want to say the wrong one and get, you know, messed up here, but it's very, very good. Outstanding. Okay, what is the worst sandwich on this list? Um, By the way, there's no hot dog. What the hell? Oh, there's a fried chicken sandwich because hot dogs aren't sandwiches. Ooh, I think. Oh wait, there is a fried chicken sandwich. I'm number eleven, baby. Are you a number eleven? Number eleven or fourteen? Fried chicken sandwich or meatball sub? Yeah. Flip a coin. The number seven Thanksgiving sandwich. I am a trash sandwich. Oh, and I also love number four, the bon mi. Um, I am actually more of these sandwiches than I am not. Like. Oh, cheese stick at 12. Another good one. Yeah, well, and they've got like egg salad, patty melt. I'm trying to find one that I wouldn't eat. 35. The 35 is... Uh, the, the, the most depressing looking bologna sandwich. Yeah, but bologna sandwiches are like... I No, this one includes mustard. So yeah, I'd, I'd go no on the, uh, on the 35. Uh, no on the 39 liverwurst. No on the 24 PB&J. Um, the worst sandwich. No, I love PB and J. PB and J is garbage. Uh, I love Bon Me and number four, so I'd be down for that. Um, the lobster roll, number eight. That one I wouldn't eat. Wouldn't eat. W- w- okay, would you have? Not a huge fan of ham and cheese, but I could eat it. How about thirty-one? Uh, you wouldn't oh, have thirty-one. Thirty-one bagel and locks, yeah. So there's like maybe a handful. Okay, and then the Cubano. Like I actually really love cubans but i can't have pickles or mustard in it so kind of maybe defeating the like i do like a a bastardized cubano so uh but there are probably like on this list of of 40 sandwiches there may be five that i wouldn't eat six seven i would avoid the eight there's eight that i will eat <laughs> I would avoid the Reuben because corned beef gives me migraines. Sadly, I love corned beef, so that's a sad uh, thing. But yeah, the Reuben, the liverwurst, the, uh, let's see, the Reuben, the liverwurst, the bagel with locks, the lobster roll. Veggie and hummus sounds gross. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that, yeah, it's literally four. I said seven. Chicken salad could be one that I could be talked into. Mm, I love chicken salad. Patty melts. I can. I could eat a patty melt as long as it doesn't have onions. The tu- the tuna melt will depend on the the quality of the tuna because you can go real wrong with the tuna melt. But I'd try it. All right. Uh, let us know which sandwich you are, and let us know what you think about Reggie Bush coming back to USC. As always, phone number two one three three seven three one USC. Second what's brewing show. Our email address is Troy at fansite.com and our phone number, I already gave it to you, 
yeah, we're on Twitter at Reign of Troy, and you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. We'll be back next week to talk about more USC football, and we'll be back on Patreon to talk about a bunch of more stuff. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy, where you can get all of the snap takes, all of our bonus episodes, and Breaking Bad talk. Uh, Alicia, you got a final word? The final word is uh, final words from L.A. Fred, who just tweeted in, why do I always see this too late on the tweet that we were asking for questions for this? So he says, I need to be more proactive in sending in my thoughts, questions, feelings, etc. to you guys. Even if you did a show about some random thing, it's always better than most everything else out there on podcast. Rot is the best. Hashtag fight on. L.A. Fred is the best. And my final word is, is, a, is a shout out to L.A. Fred who is one of our biggest we love you, uh, supporters, and we really, really appreciate you. So uh, you did get that in late, but uh, we saw it as we were ending the recording, and uh, we appreciate you greatly. Yeah, it was a, it was a clutch base hit for LA. Yeah, there you go. Big fan. Uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. Until then, we'll see you. See ya. See ya. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.